And now, even as I invite them to come up, we're going to just for time's sake, I'm going to invite our presenters to even go from five to three minutes. But I'm going to ask Sam Salkin, Edna Stewart, Stuart Kelman, Dan Fendel, and Cheryl Bartke to just join me up here. We're, we're going to make this very efficient. We are going to each of us give about three minutes of the, of the various topics that are part of this program. Part of what we're doing here is also you're going to help us out because we're going to put this on the website so people can hear it also. And it'll be in the order of Sam, Edna, Stuart, Dan, Cheryl, and my, I'll be batting last. So we're going to keep this extremely efficient. What's also made this day technically possible is, first of all, um, we want to once again thank Nitivo Shalom for hosting. And we also want to thank a man who emerged this week named Ram, right here, who has made you able to hear everything. The topics that you'll see on, your, on the flyers are the other conversation, the final mitzvot, dying, death, and burial, the art of comfort, mourning and grief, and your life when it is over. And beginning is the other conversation, Sam Salkin. Parents, thank you. First of all, I want to say thank you all for being here today. And a big thank you is due to, I'm, I'm from Sinai Memorial Chapel, where I'm the executive director. And a big thanks is due not only to the Gamaliel Institute and Lairhouse Judaic and Rabbi Wolf Prezan for organizing this, but there was really a village behind all of this. There are people from congregationally based Hevra Kaddishas, from synagogues, and from Jewish agencies in the community that all came together with a vague idea that led to this program. And so this, this represents a tremendous communal effort. I'm going to just give you a short amount of background on Sinai Memorial Chapel because you may not be familiar with us, and it is a unique institution in American Jewish life. Sinai Memorial Chapel is the Jewish funeral home for Northern California. San Francisco Bay Area, San Jose, Oakland, Walnut Creek, however you define us, up to, San, up to Mendocino and down to Santa Barbara, is the only major metropolitan areas in the United States that does not have a for-profit Jewish funeral home. Every major city's Jewish funeral homes, for the most part, not exclusively, but for the most part, are for-profit enterprises. And those who came before us in this community and their wisdom created Sinai Memorial Chapel, both as the Jewish funeral home, the Hevra Kedisha, and the benevolent society that took care of the needs of the indigent who could not otherwise afford a Jewish funeral, all under one roof. And 114 years later, we still do all of that. We are... We, we represent and support the entire spectrum of the Jewish community like it is supported nowhere else in the United States. We support secular Jews, all streams, Reform, Conservative, Modern, Orthodox, Chabad, Renewal, Reconstructionist, Karaites. We have been serving the LGBTQ community before those letters were ever put together by anyone in the world, and we've served interfaith families since the end of the 19th century. So we're a very inclusive institution. And I think that framework is important for our discussion today of the other conversation. There are really five components to talk about when we talk about the other conversation. I'm just gonna highlight each one of them for you a bit, and then in the course of this program under the aegis of Lairhouse, we'll get into much greater detail in them on a programmatic basis. The first element is talking with your children, your spouse, your partner about your end of life wishes. The second is planning your funeral. 
The third is choosing your final resting place. The fourth is the money conversation. And finally, a topic in this community that has risen to one of conversation is intermarried families. 50 years ago, in this community, when a Jewish person died, they made one of two phone calls. They either called their rabbi, and the rabbi said, don't worry, we'll call Sinai, and between us, we'll work out everything. Or they called Sinai, and we said, what, what congregation are you a member of? They told us, we said, don't worry, we'll call your rabbi, we'll take care of everything. In the East Bay, less than 10% of us have a rabbi. Less than 10%. So today, in what normatively 50 years ago, someone would have said, I know what to do. I either call my rabbi or call Sinai, and I also have a pretty good idea of what I want. Today, nothing is normative. The most frequent thing that happens when we get a first call is someone says, I don't know what to do. And the fact of the matter is, if they're fortunate enough to reach us or to reach a rabbi who's not perhaps their rabbi because they don't have one, the answer is, we do. We always know what to do. But we also want to listen to you, and that's what the other conversation is about. It's about listening to the person. So talking with your children, spouse, or partner about end-of-life issues, I just want to touch on a few short items in this regard. In the last week, I've gotten a call from a social worker who said I am working with someone later stages of life and he's having an enormous amount of conflict with his spouse because one of them wants to be cremated and one of them wants to be buried and they're at an impasse with each other and it's really quite destructive in terms of their relationship. What could we do? And I said I could go see them and we could talk for about three minutes, and I could make all their stress go away. And that's what I did. The person who wanted to be cremated is going to be cremated. The person who wanted a traditional Jewish burial is going to have a traditional Jewish burial. They're going to be buried in a consecrated Jewish cemetery in a section that permits cremation, and they will be in one place, one makom, with one headstone with both their names on it. On Thursday, I officiated at the service of an Orthodox Jewish man whose rabbi was out of town who was, has been married for 48 years to a Christian woman. And she said, we don't know what to do. And I said, we know what to do. And he had a traditional Orthodox funeral. And let me give you the third example. A man calls and says, man in, probably in his early 80s, he said, I have a dilemma. Since I've retired, I've become much more religious traditionally. I, I go to shul for daily minyan, not every day, but many days. Um, I observe all of the chagim, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as I've become more and more religious, my wife and I, who used to share ex identical values, she's become more and more secular. And I've decided that I'd like to be buried in Israel. And it's okay with her, but my three children think I'm deranged. They think this is Mishigas to the nth degree. And she has promised me that when I die, she'll take care of everything and have me buried in Israel. But I'm worried about my kids because they won't do it. How can I get peace of mind about this? And I say, we'll meet with you and we'll get this taken care of, 
and it'll take 45 minutes, and you'll have complete peace of mind that you're going to be buried in Israel, and no one will be able to change what you want. So talking with your children, your spouse, your partner around end-of-life wishes is the beginning, but it also may reveal that there are cracks, that there are issues, that there are fissures. But in my experience, most of them can be repaired. Most of them, in a context of tikkun, in rectification, people can have what they want, how they want it, even though they don't know how to get there. And part of our role is to help them. That then leads to funeral planning. Again, 50 years ago, things were normative. 50 years ago, hardly any funeral service took, took place in a synagogue. Favor took place at Sinai, or they took place at the chapel at the cemetery. Nothing's normative anymore. So funerals take place right here. Funerals increasingly take place at the graveside with no prior gathering at either a funeral chapel or at a chapel at a cemetery. So the funeral planning process, and that includes the memorial service, because some people are choosing to be buried privately in very small family settings, and then immediately or soon thereafter to have a memorial service that looks to everybody else like a funeral, except that there's not a casket present. So again, we're here to help you plan those things, and we help you plan those things at no charge. Then there's the question of the final resting place, and there are a huge number of options, and we listen to you, and we help you figure it out. There's the money conversation, and then there's finally the issue of intermarried families. And let me just conclude with intermarried families. There is absolutely no reason that an intermarried family can't respectfully meet the needs of both members of that marriage or partnership and have the Jewish partner feel fully respected and fully taken care of as a Jewish person and to have the non-Jewish partner respected as a human being. So stay tuned. There's going to be more to come. And um, look forward to having you join us for the, uh, the sessions in the weeks ahead. Thank you very much. Edna. The class, the final mitzvot, is exactly what it says. And it's um, a fleshing out of Jessica's talk today that will go into detail about advanced directives, the pulse, but mostly talking with your family. Why are we calling it the final mitzvot? Because if and when you are on your deathbed and you have been very clear to your family what you want, that is the greatest gift you can give them. It is peace of mind and it allows them to bury you and live the rest of their lives without guilt that they may not have given you what you wanted. So um, I hope you will enjoy the class. Most of the classes on this topic will be taught um, by myself and by Joanna Weinberg, who's an attorney who specializes in end-of-life care. Rabbi Stuart Kelman. The session that I, would, I want to describe for a quick moment has to do with the very end of life and what happens. How do you say goodbye to somebody? How do you say goodbye? How do you say goodbye to the person who's dying? How do the people standing around the bedside say goodbye to that person? Difficult topics, ones with which we never want to talk about but need to, including how do you say goodbye 
to someone with whom you've had a very difficult relationship. All of these kinds of topics fall under the category of vidui. Technically, the word means confession, but it's the end of life and the saying of goodbye. So we'll explore that. We'll explore some of the laws of death and dying at the very end, what happens to the body when they go to Sinai, uh, what happens at the mortuary itself, the process of tahara, the process of purification, the process of being with the body, the funeral, some of the laws, what happens exactly at the graveside, or what happens in the synagogue or in the chapel. And finally, the issues uh, dealing with burial and with cremation. This is a conversation, and a conversation that sometimes is obviously very difficult, both within the context of people who are there, as well as the conversation with the tradition and what, what the tradition says in most cases about, certain, about some of these issues. So that will, be this, this, that will be the session, more of a conversation than of a telling, but it'll be a combination of both. Dan Fendel and the Art of Comfort. So first I want to clarify in the sequence in which we've been coming up, I, I'm coming up after Stuart, but the Art of Comfort begins before all of those because the art of comfort is both about visiting the sick, even the mildly sick, and about comforting mourners at the other end of the spectrum. So it's really two ends, and a fair amount in the middle as well, of comforting people. Just to introduce who I am, and I'm going to be doing most of the art of comfort sessions. Edna's going to fill in one when, when I'm away. I began my involvement with this work as a griever 36 years ago. I got support, comfort, from something called the Shanti Project. I then had 20 years working with uh, Shanti's East Bay successor, Namaste, and I did work uh, with offering comfort to those who were dying and those who were grieving as a volunteer. And for the last couple of years, I've been working as a spiritual care volunteer at Kaiser Oakland, in which I walk into rooms knowing essentially nothing about the patient except uh, age, gender, and religious affiliation and try to have a conversation with them about what's going on. I'm a member of Temple Sinai, Reformed Congregation in Oakland, and I'm involved in a whole series of things that we do there in this whole spectrum of work. The sessions will look at, as I said, this, this spectrum of comfort from, from illness through dying through grieving. So that we're talking about different people in those situations. And it will look at aspects of that work that are specifically Jewish, and aspects that are very general. So specifically Jewish, we'll talk about prayers like Misha Berach and Vidui. We'll talk about spontaneous prayer. One of the things I learned in the Gamliel Institute, we as Jews don't do a whole lot of sort of spontaneous, God, please do such and such for me. We do it at shul when we're davening. It's all spelled out for the most part. But spontaneous prayer can be very powerful. Uh, and we'll talk about how you do that, how you kind of just ad lib a prayer uh, when you're visiting somebody in the hospital, for example. Standard phrases that are used in the Jewish tradition in various circumstances of comfort. And we'll look specifically at Shiva, what you do, what you don't do, what you say, what you don't say. There's a book over on that table, and we have some available uh, for sale 
today, and, and we'll have them at the other sessions that Rabbi Kelman and I put together called Nichum Avelim for the Comforter. So this is how to be a comforter to your friends. I look forward to seeing many of you at, at some of those sessions. Cheryl Bartke on Mourning and Grief. I'm Cheryl Bartke. I'm a local therapist in private practice, and for the past decade, I've worked with Sinai Memorial Chapel as a counselor with their Mourner Care Bereavement Program. So I'm here today to give you a preview of Mourning and Grief after the death. Eighteen years ago, my mother went into the hospital for a knee replacement surgery. I traveled to Florida to help my dad while she was in the hospital. I arrived late in the afternoon. My mom had had her surgery that morning. While me and my dad were with her, she had a heart attack. Was it because of the stress of the surgery? Was it a reaction to the medications? We don't know. All we do know is that four days later she died. Now, I'd grown up in a conservative Jewish home with Orthodox grandparents. So through osmosis, I knew the basics of Jewish burial and mourning practices. But as an unaffiliated Jew most of my life, I'd had no formal training. I didn't know that my own tradition had already laid a solid foundation to help me with my mourning and my grief. For example, I didn't know that the reason you're supposed to say Kaddish in a minion rather than alone is so you can feel the support of community. I didn't know that Judaism proclaims right off the bat that mourners walk a different path from everyone else. I learned the hard way on my own. I could have used the course that Rabbi Wolf Prusan, Rabbi Raphael, and I will be teaching. So I hope you'll join us as we learn about Kaddish basics, what the Jewish tradition says about mourning, grief, and memory, how to gather community support, Jewish perspectives on stillbirth, neonatal death, and sudden traumatic death, customs of the first year of loss, and when does grief really end? I thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you in our class, Mourning and Grief After the Death. When people ask, what is the Jewish tradition of the afterlife? My first response is, it'll take all the afterlife to explain it. <laughs> so let me simply say that from the biblical layer, that strata of Abraham and the cave of Machpelah, through the rabbinic period, through the, from the first to the second temple period, through the post-exile period in Persia, the Mediterranean, various parts of Europe into the medieval portion of our existence through Maimonides and carrying through the contact with the Arab world and the Christian world into modernity, we basically know many ideas of that question. So what we'll be doing in this class is literally drilling through the strata of the living Jewish experience and how we discuss Alom Haba, how we discuss what it means to be all those terms that we hear every once in a while, like reincarnation, incarnation, afterlife, the soul, just little easy topics to deal with. But since, since no one has the answer key, we won't have to wait for a winner. 
But we will try to is, is calm the anxiety of that not knowing is actually part of the package. And uncertainty might be a better place to be than certainty. And living with doubt might be the path to wisdom than living a path of arrogance. So we'll try to work some of those issues out in, in that class. Hugh Side um, um, Valencia is going to be teaching those in, in Los Gatos and other places, and we hope that you're all with us. I want to thank all of you for, for being here today, for, for asking Mark and Jessica, actually Jessica, for the question period, really, really good and thoughtful questions. I want to thank you for listening to these brief presentations that will be part of this program. I want to encourage you to share with people that you might meet that this subject is going to be approached with an open heart, with open minds, that we have nothing to sell. Not one of us standing here today is making a dime on this program. If you want to go back to the economics of it, <laughs> seriously, Lairhouse has been producing this program basically on our own budget. We have no foundation funding for such a program um, this is not an easy program to get funded. We are doing this because it was convinced by Edna and by Stuart and by Dan and by Sam that this is the right thing to do. And so we're glad that we're part of the program to help their sacred work go forward. Thank you all very much. Good day.